of the service entire of the way path a highway part one and it's talking about the salvation that's spoken of in the 49th chapter of Isaiah here starting at the 8th verse it says thus saith the Lord in an acceptable time have I heard thee and in the day of salvation have I helped thee and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate inheritances that thou mayest say to the prisoners go forth to them that are in darkness show yourselves they shall feed in the ways and their pastures shall be in all high places they shall not hunger nor thirst neither shall the heat nor sun smite them for he that had mercy on them shall lead them even by the springs of water shall he guide them I will make all my mountains a way, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from afar. Lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord had comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Uh, we're talking here, and as we finish reading the chapter, we see that it's talking about salvation, but that salvation had come unto all men. Uh, there's a way, and uh, we're going to talk about that today when we're talking about the way. Uh, it's the way of God. Uh, included in that way would be the way in which we worship. We know with the word way, there's a lot of think meanings to that word or within that word in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Proverbs talks about, about that there's a way that seemed right unto a man in the end thereof is destruction. So we see some ways are not good ways. Some way we do things is not a good way. And some ways cause us to deviate from the true way to deviate from the path, to wander out of the way. Some ways cause us to wander out of the way. Uh, there's a broad way and a narrow way. There's a way that leads to destruction, and that's a very broad way. Jesus himself said he's a way, he's the way and the life. So we see that we're talking about divine providence of leading his people in a path toward the ultimate end that would be salvation in Jesus Christ. There's salvation in no other. That's why he says he's the way, meaning there wasn't a plurality of ways, and only that there's one way. He said in that... Uh, 11th verse, and I will make all my mountains a way, and my highways shall be exalted. And we know that that was John, the, that in the book of Elijah, I mean Malachi, where it says there'll be one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And we talked about that being John the Baptist. And we hear, hear the word highway used a lot of times. When we think of a highway, we don't think of a rural road or somewhere because that would be a road, that would be a street or something. But when we talk about a highway, we're talking about a cleared path. We think about the interstate or something as a highway. In other words, where there's a, it's been spooled out and level and all of the obstacles have been taken out of the way to you can travel it easy. All of the encumbrances uh, that hit, would hinder your movement would be taken out of the way. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, the 40th chapter, the third through the fourth verse, it says, A voice of one calling out, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Remove the obstacles. Make straight and smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised, 
and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged places a broad valley. In other words, going through Tennessee and some of the places in Kentucky and different places throughout the nation have been up places where there's a lot of valleys or whatever. Sometimes they have to build the valley up so the incline wouldn't be too steep headed down it or going up it. Sometimes they cut through the mountains and cut portions of rock or tunnel or they clear the trees or whatever, like I said, to make the highway as passable as possible. And But we see here a metaphor for highway. In other words, this is what the gospel is doing. It's, it's making a way. Mm-hmm. It's like Jesus Christ came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that John the Baptist had already came preaching repentance. Yes. The word of God is a sword. It's a rod. It clears a way. And it provides that highway to where the Gentiles, the Israelites, the Jacob, everybody can travel this way. It's an unencumbered way to God. In other words, our trailblazer, the scout who had pioneered the way, the way in which we should follow, he came and he made salvation possible for everyone. Yes. That is for all men. He was that light. He was the way, the truth, and the life. And so we must not wander off the path. We must stick to that trail that our trailblazer blazed for us. We must take up our cross and follow after him for it is finished. He had set that pattern for us to follow. All we have to do is walk therein. When the scouts and things used to go, a Lewis and Clarkett expedition, expositions that would go through the way they would move and they would cut back that trail. But seems to be the more people travel that trail, the more that pathway gets beaten or broadened until you can travel it easier and it's a, a, a much wider view. But the narrowness of it helps guide you in the way because if the path gets too wide, I was in Carsberg's Cavern, Carsberg's Cavern, and that goes, that's a cave that goes way down. That's in Riodosa, New Mexico, I think it was when we went on a vacation. It's in Riodosa, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And you go way up underground, but they tell you that they have put lights and all of that stuff under there and to stick to that pathway because on some of those ledges, some of those drop-offs are hundreds of feet deep. If you drop off, you go by the wayside. You know, yes. You'd be lost and the old folks say, stay close to the trunk of the tree. And you heard of the saying, stay on the beaten path. Yes. There's yes. safety on that beaten path because many others have traveled that way before. So we look at Christianity as being a way of life. That I'll come back. Maybe I'll come back to that one. Uh, let me go right here first. I kind of got my notes a little bit uh, scattered around. I wanted to say some other things first. You know, I took most of yesterday afternoon. I tell you, I went home. When I went home, I had to do some work on my vehicle, and that kind of throws me to where I didn't get this as lined up as possible. But let, let me finish that, keep my notes in that order. Christianity is a way of life, starting in the book of Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, the fourth through the ninth verse. Mm-hmm. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, the only God. He, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and with all of your soul and with all of your strength, that is, your entire being. These words which I have commanding you today shall be written on your heart and mind. You shall teach them diligently to your children 
impressing God's precepts on their minds and penetrating their hearts with his truths. And you shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road and when you sit down, or when you lie down and when you get up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand that is on your forearms. In other words, when he says we are written on his arms, uh, his hands, usually if you don't want to forget something, you write it on your hand, upon your hand. It's always before you. Uh, they said write it in your forearms, a place where it can be remembered uh, easily so. But it's just poetic license to say to keep this at the forefront of your very being. He says, and you shall bind them and they shall be used as bands, that is frontal, frontlets or eyelets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. As a parent, just like a pastor would have that responsibility as a father, a leader, teaching elders or leaders in the church. The parental responsibility is to provide correct guidance in leading children. So it is important that God is so important that the parental guidance is to lead your children in the ways of God. That immediately after Moses recounts the Ten Commandments, God goes over this about teaching it to your children because they had lost that. Uh, some of this when in Egypt. They had lost the Sabbath. They had lost a whole lot of things. But there were no formal declarations of these things before that time. That That's where the law was given. You remember when he came out of, they came out of Egypt yeah. is when the law was given. But he had chose Abraham way before that time. You remember Abraham way back in Genesis he had chosen Abraham and say one of the reasons he chose Abraham was that he knew Abraham would teach his children to do right, to do that which God had said, that he would teach his children. One of the Ten Commandments which says, honor thine parents. We have an instructive role to give them the light and the best truth to raise them up to follow a certain path, as the book of Proverbs say, train up a child in the way he shall go and he shall not depart when he gets older. The precepts of God. Yes. We don't know everything that Adam and Eve taught to Cain and Seth and Enoch, but we do know that God has always been in man's consciousness a man's awareness. In other words, the book of Titus, one of the ones we're going to read, that the grace of God had appeared unto all men. Titus 2 and 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation had appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's not just a New Testament concept, though. Mm. That that precept is not just New Testament because we know Enoch walked with God. Yes. He was translated and he was not. We know that Noah found grace in the sight of God. Yes. Noah found grace in the sight of God. And it says the grace of God had appeared to all men. So there's been a consciousness or awareness of God, though it may not be in the declarations and the way that we saw it or believe it, but God from the beginning, he was lighted. He had established, a, he's establishing, let me not say he had established, but he's establishing patterns that we should follow. Right. He established the Sabbath in the beginning. In creation, he made the Sabbath that Sabbath over a period of time, and he had set it apart. But that Sabbath was actually made for man, and he used it as a pattern that we should work six days and rest the seventh day. That was a memorial. That was a day that God sanctified, set apart. And 
that helps identify us. That's a sign to us and between us and God that we are the children of God. And I'll reiterate that a little bit later. So back to Deuteronomy here saying child training in the way of God is correct parental leadership. So if you want to be correct as a parent, you teach your children the ways of God and the things of God. That that's what as I gotten older, that I, I may have been negligent, uh, uh, not as diligent as I should have been when I was younger. That those are some of the mistakes. Uh, this, this passage is in Deuteronomy establishes that God holds it to be a major responsibility, not to be passed off to anyone else. Is that you teach your children about God? Don't leave it up to the schools and all. A lot of people talk about the public schools and in Christian schools and homeschooling or whatever. But the things of God, you need to instill those into your children. Yes. That's a parent's duty. Just like it, as the, Paul called Timothy his son, that's the pastors and the teachers of the church. That's their duty. That's their obligation and responsibility is to instill the word of God in others. Yes, that's our responsibilities as lights and disciples. That's part of our great part of the great commission to go forth teaching and making disciples of all men. The word of God, because that's the way. That's the only way. That's the way of life. That's the way to reiterate it. Over and over consistently, and I told you the other day about my uh, cousin that I went back and I told him about, I was telling him about church today. I said the other day when I talked to you, I felt something extremely wrong in your life and wanted to ask you about what church you attend and about religion, talk to you about religion a little bit. But I had to leave off on that because I had to get ready for Bible study and come on to church. Uh, but we that's to be our focus. That's to be our primary purpose in life. And that's what gives us joy. That's what gives us happiness is shedding that light, going forth, making disciples to being fruitful. To carry out this responsibility... To do this, the parents must practice the way of God to the best of their abilities in every aspect of life, in every area of life, just like the preacher has to carry it out, just like each and every one that names the name of Christ, it says, he that nameth the name of Christ, let him depart from iniquity. We can't sin because it's not a good example of pattern to set. That's why we have to be forever learning the ways and the word of God because we're saying, follow me as I follow Christ, that Christ is leading me. In this way, the children are not only verbally taught God's ways, but also witness it in action right in their home as we should witness it on our job or wherever we be because Christianity should be a way of life and most people, a lot of people call people in the church hypocrites or whatever because they live one way or advocate one way of life, but they live a different way. It has to be characteristically synonymous. It has to be consistent throughout. This is not happening in this nation. It's not happening in our homes. And it's providing power for evidence to all who believe God as to why it is crumbling from within. The foundations is being destroyed in which this everything is built upon because it's not built upon Christ. It's not built upon Jesus Christ. That's the firm foundation. That's why he came and laid the foundation because all the way from the beginning, it's been being built the wrong way. Man's been looking at man and Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, laid that foundational rock in which the whole church is built upon him. He's our pattern. That's what we should follow. Godly leadership is produced within families from practicing godly ways or producing godly ways and 
you're not living godly, your children will see that hypocritical flaw and it'll multiply in their lives just as Solomon was three times, as, uh, several times worse than his father David with adultery and polygamy. So it trickles down from generation to generation. Most people are unaware that world leadership does not appear once in Strong's exhaustive concordance. If you look, go there to look up leadership, it's not there. The word leader appears only three times, and all forms of lead appear only 81 times when it talks about leading. But there is a good reason for this. The focus of God's persuasion to live his way of life is on following it. There's a way that we should follow. That's why he tells us that we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow after him. Most good leaders are good followers. Uh, They've been following. uh, They're following someone else. Uh, They're following what God has established, a standard of righteousness. We are frequently urged (coughs) to follow Christ, the way of God, uh, of the examples of the righteous. You don't tell your children to follow someone that's unrighteous. If we have a presidential leader that has flaws and faults and everything, why do we never tell somebody to follow man but tell them to follow Christ? He has no flaws or faults because human nature is to find the tendency of those flaws and faults and that's where they falter at. We are also urged to imitate the Apostle Paul and Christ in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, when it says, follow me as I follow Christ. So in areas of places where I'm not following Christ, stop there. Don't follow me there. Uh, I used to listen at this seven-day Adventist. I'm sure he's not with seven-day Adventist any longer because he was a teacher of truth. It was Gerard Dees, and he says, follow the word of God. Don't follow dogma or other man-made religions and things and where the church stops following Christ and get hooked off into their, their different dogmas and different obstacles that divide. That, that's where division is, is in religion. Denomination sets up those divisions. But he says, follow the truth. That's the light. That's the way. It's the truth. That's the way to life and life eternal. So the, the term follow, followed, follows, followers, following, combined, appears some 258 times in the Bible, and it, that far exceeds all forms of lead. Everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to be the pastor, a doctor, apostle. They want a title. They want leadership, but they're not very good followers. We, what is most important about leadership is that leaders be followers. That leaders be a good follower. This is God's concern. Christianity is a way of life that God greatly desires us to follow. That God desires us to follow. The book of Acts, the 16th chapter, the 17th verse. It is called the way of salvation. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These are the servants of the Most High God which showed unto us the way of salvation. This was the servant girl that was possessed by a demon or whatever, but even that demon knew that Paul and the apostles was teaching or showed them the way of salvation. That's the way. It's the way of salvation. That's why I say this chapter is talking about salvation. And a lot of times in the book of Acts, when you hear him talk about the way, that's a way of life. It's the way toward salvation. In the book of Acts, the 18th chapter, in the 25th verse, it calls it the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord. It says, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. This was Apollos 
preaching and Priscilla and Aquila were hearing him preaching, but he was instructing the people in the way of the Lord. Again, the way in the book of Acts, the 19th chapter, the ninth verse, it says, but when divers, in other words, when many different people were hardened and believed not and speak evil of that way, in other ways, in other words, the way that the apostles was teaching, they became hardened by it because they even hardened themselves to the words of Jesus Christ of some of the things that he was teaching or whatever. And they says, this is a hard way, you, this is a hard thing that you're teaching. It becomes hard to those that are not true believers. It's mighty hard to those that don't have the Spirit of God. Because those that believe, those that believe and receive the word that's preached, to them he gave the power, the ability to become sons of God. They learn submission and humility and a lot of them, a lot of it is learned through what we suffer. But those that don't want to follow the way are those that seek after self-pleasure, self-pleasing, and other things regarding the self. It says, but when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. Jesus was the greatest leader who ever lived, never sinning one time. Yet he declares in John 7, chapter in the 16th verse that he says, My doctrine is not mine, but he is who sent me. Now he had taught that with power and authority, but he says, This doctrine, what I'm teaching, and if we would follow that doctrine, we'll know whose it is. Once we start following that form of doctrine. Once we start following the word of God, we are realized that it is from God. That's why I say it's a spiritual, this is a spiritual gospel, this is a spiritual word, and it has a spiritual effect on you to those that God call because it, the regeneration that begins in you is a spiritual regeneration. It's making you a new creation. It's it's the catalyst that sets us on the path to God. It takes the dry bones and it breathes spirit. It breathes life into those bones. Are we understanding what I'm saying? Those that's in darkness, that it sets the captives free. In other words, it puts you on a life that you can feel yourself strengthening. You can feel that this is very different than anything else that had come along. That's the thing about the Word of God, that the people heard Jesus preaching, and they say He preaches it with authority. That was a certain authority, not just a boldness, but it was authority whereby they knew something different was here. It causes us to abstain from evil. The Word of God, the way causes us. You remember I said that you wouldn't wander from the way and that you wouldn't deviate from the way because the way of the word of God sanctifies us, it washes us. It starts causing doubt to arise in your mind. You start doubting yourself. You start, as the man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. You start seeing a living, a life of deja vu that I've been down this road before, but I don't want to take this road and travel because I know what the end of that is. I need to take a road less traveled. Take the road less traveled. So the world is taking that broad road, that broad way. We need to take this narrow way. This narrow way, this narrow path. You remember I told you it's a narrow path because we can't turn to the left or the right. We'll widen the way and we must walk the narrow path because the word has a sharp edge on it. The sharp edge of the word is holiness. 
It has nothing of our way, nothing of impurities in it. It's a pure way. We can't just get on this road. That's why it says, ye, listen at Matthew 5, 13, 15. It says, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thence there good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden on the foot of men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but under a candlestick, but on a candlestick, and it give it light unto all the house. Jesus, our Savior, tells us that we're salt and that we are light. We're also, according to First Corinthians 1 and 27, we're weak and foolish. Now these things make us say, what? I, you know, that goes against our American mentality. For someone to say you're weak and foolish, we want to be strong. We want to be smart. We want to be wise. We want to be intellectual. But see, the wisdom of man is foolishness under God. The weakness, that's what Paul says, I didn't come to you preaching. I come to you in weakness. I come to you preaching the cross. See, they didn't accept Jesus Christ. They didn't want a crucified Messiah. They wanted a conquering Messiah. And that's why he gave Paul a thorn in the flesh because if in this weakness, if we're dependent upon God, we struggle to overcome and we feel we're always a day late and a dollar short. It's always something in our life hinders us from making that mountain, from accomplishing. And that's what he said in the 49th chapter when he says, that he had labored in vain. The fourth verse he says, Then I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for naught and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with God. See, because if we were to do it our way, the way that we want to do it, or have it our way, then it's not the same way as Christ, and he's not going to bring us a way that we know. He's going to bring us a way that we know not, a way that we're dependent upon him. That we're being led by the Spirit, not being led by our own self-centered ways. But our ways are not like his ways. Our thinking is not the same as his. All that has to be put to death, and we are to be created in his image and likeness. That's a construction that's going on, and he's making us in his image and his likeness. We have to submit and humble ourselves. We have to resist the devil. And we saw yesterday that that devil lies within us. That carnal man that Paul says he see another law within his members bringing him into the captivity of this inner man, that inner man, Jesus Christ, that when he tempted to do good, evil is right there trying to pull him to selfish desires, selfish concerns. Though we wish with all our heart that we were more like God in his image, his image in us seems all the more elusive. We just can't achieve it. We always seem to falter or to fail. But Jesus did not lie in, the, in, in but Jesus did not lie in saying these things. As salt gives food a rich and pleasant taste. We are those who are to give a good flavor to the lives of those we encounter. That's why I say I, I, I call my cousin back after thinking or uh, waiting. I didn't challenge him Friday on some things or whatever because I was waiting for the Spirit to enter in to lead me or give me the words to say. I didn't want to go in myself and do these things. You have to be slow to speak quick to hear and hearing and analyzing the statements made or whatever I, I, I didn't want Emerson to be involved I wanted the spirit to lead me those that are led by but we must have that savor that salt and there should also be something in our conduct that shows us shows the fruit of life to which God had called us that people say now something different about him uh, everybody else would have accepted this or whatever, but he came 
and he's gnawing at this bone. The things that I said, he just didn't let me off with these. It's as the Bereans, the Bereans listened to what was being said, but they went back and read and studied to see what those things so. They prayed about them. They didn't break down into a spiritual argument or say things in the heat of the moment or being led by their spirit, by their ways or what they thought. They allowed the Spirit of God to ruminate in that. They meditated. They sat back and thought on those things that were said to them. He said, he goes on to say that if we are not radiating with flavor, reflecting the teachings of God in our lives, what use are we, especially to God himself? We should be tossed out. We're no good for nothing but to be trodden in the foot. If if we allow people to tell us anything, if we tolerate sin, if if we're not that light, if we don't offer that sharp edge, Mm -hmm. if, if people don't say, I need to watch what I say to him, I need to be careful how we approach this situation. Yeah. You know, that's what your enemy is doing. The, Jesus' enemy contemplated what they were asking him or how would they try to trap him in these things. That's what their people, the devils, did to Daniel. They said if we're to trap him, we have to trap him in something regarding his religion because he lives his way of life. Mm-hmm. And that's when they pass, get the king to pass a degree. If any man prayed to God within a, that 30-day period, that they would be cast into the lion's den. Daniel didn't deviate away from that. We can't compromise or tolerate in certain areas to not be that salt of that light, that bring light into this dark world. That boldness, Peter had that boldness, and he spoke to the people and said, God, we ought to obey God rather than man. And that's when they took note that this man had been with Jesus. But other than that, Peter was a whimpering coward to where a servant girl caused him to deny the Lord three times. Yes. Yes. But see, when he got filled with the Spirit of God, yes. he began to be a light. The salt hadn't lost its savor then. He started being of use. He didn't hide the light that was in him. And God gave him more and more strength. He gave him so much strength that Peter was able to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel it right to be crucified in the same way as Lord did. But he wasn't running and afraid to lose his life. So this is the way. See, Peter was the man that wasn't hypocritical when he told us when revile, being reviled, Jesus reviled not again, he learned that lesson. The two Gospels of Peter, those two epistles of Peter, first and second epistles of Peter, are some of the stronger epistles that are written. We see why Peter became a, a rock to Jesus Christ. Why he says, you're a rock. Yes. Became immovable in the faith. This is something that grew on him. Uh, let me... Our lives can shine a spotlight on solutions to many common problems experienced by our friends and neighbors if we wouldn't want to go there and and get the glory but allow God to get the glory. If we're not trying to show what we know but what God knows. So that's why these are things that are learned. The book of Acts, the ninth chapter, in the second verse says, and saw yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went in unto the high priest and desired of him letters to the Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that's of that Christian way, living this type life, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Christianity is shown in this verse, to be a way of life. It's the way you live. That's how people can tell who you are. It's not by just the things you say. It's by how you live. And I was telling you about, I was getting some tied envelopes to take to a new member that we had given the right hand of fellowship that could be one of the sick and shut in. Because not only listening at the word of God, 
hearing the word of God, we expect you to be an active member of the church, and that's as God, in God's way. The sister that we lost a few months back, Sister Harris, was one of our strong prayer warriors. She was in a wheelchair. We have a new member that's she's bedridden that she can't get out of the church in a physical way. In other words, someone would have to do as they did the paralytic men. Man, they would have to bring her back, bring her to church. But that still doesn't stop her or hinder her working in the Lord. She needs to take that place, step up, and be another prayer warrior for the church. That prayer warrior, and like I said, if you have any kind of income, your faithfulness is proved over whether you're giving tithes and offerings because that's a precept or obligation that's learned. And when talking with her and going over church membership and the things of church, I say, now that's one thing that you don't hear me preaching on or whatever, but we do believe that tithes and offerings is the way that sustains the church, and that's the precept that's taught in the Old Testament, though you only hear a few, a very few things on it in the New Testament. Uh, sister, one of our former members that passed away, one of the people were asking me to give them some scriptures on tithes and offerings or whatever, and I say that's one thing that the Spirit leads you and guides you into because there's no written scripture that says you must tithe this, you must do this, uh, do that in the New Testament, in this new covenant, just as it is about the directions. I'll go over that in just a second if I could hurry to it about the Sabbath. There's no directions about following the Sabbath, but you will have people that's like the Pharisees go, that tried to trip Jesus up on worship on the Sabbath and the work he did or what he did on the Sabbath, but you never see me telling you how to carry out the Sabbath. I preach the scriptures concerning the Sabbath and tithes and offerings, but it's not a dogma. It's not something that's I'm very dogmatic about and say you must do this or you must do it this way. The way, the way promises salvation to all men. And I have several scriptures. Luke, the third chapter and the sixth verse. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Acts 2.21 And it shall come to pass that whosoever whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 5.18 Therefore as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came up upon all men unto justification of life. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.4 Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Second Peter 3 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So there's all of the scriptures under this new covenant pointing to this is toward all men, and don't let any denomination or any different religions or whatever tell you about the Jew first. It was given to the Jew first, but it's to Jewish and the Gentiles. There's no Jew or Gentile under the new covenant. We're all the same in salvation is to all men. Yes. To all men. To Jew and Gentile. Uh, the way of provided through difficulties of life, and that's as we look at this 49th chapter, and you'll see the people sort of on a journey toward the promised land. But I tell you, it wasn't geographical under the new covenant that it's spiritual. So coming out of Babylon of uh, pursuing the rest we have in Christ Jesus is spiritual. It wasn't just freeing us from physical bondage because I tell you, Paul and Jesus didn't preach or advocate about physically loosening the slaves out of slavery. But it was a spiritual free. Now, if that encompassed being loose from slavery, we see the word of God accomplish that 
further on that that light George Wilberforce and some of the others through religion accomplished that later on that light came there's a time and a season for all things that's why in the Sabbath and with tidy as you walk as you increase in faith God sheds more light unto that until it becomes real to you that's why the scripture says with fear and trembling work out your own salvation because sometimes you have to thread that path alone you have to tread that path alone mother father sister may forsake you the enemies may be in your own house you sometimes your spouse may you don't want your spouse to cause you to be lost uh, uh, to not obey God so that's why it says with fear and trembling work out your own salvation because that grace of God appears unto you to strengthen you. So you can do as Samson did. And God had called him to a job and he called himself allowing his wife in on it and he told her the secret that God had told him not to divulge. One that enabled him to be weakened by him by her and it caused him to be bald headed and blind and dying with his enemies now God wish uh, uh, that you overcome he prayed for you to overcome and he preaches overcoming but it's you that yield that he had given you that ability to become sons of God Exodus 14 and 16 says but lift up thine rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. So we see God provides a way. The enemies are coming after them from behind. Uh, and the Red Sea is here. Many difficulties, but God provides a way to deliver us. He shall not lead us in a path that he can't deliver us out of. So his rod, and that's why we see in that 49th chapter, the second verse, it says, And he had made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shell of his hand. He had hid me and made me a polished shaft. Yes. We use the rod of the word of God. It can be a hammer. It can be like a hammer. It can build up or it can tear down. We need to, by exercise of use, learn how to wield God's word. It's a sword. But watch it. It's sharp as a double-edged sword. That thing cut to the marrow of the bone. It divides the spirit asunder. There's some power in the word. So we need to be able to use the word. He asked Peter, how would you like to have those things that you say? But watch what you say because you have to give account for every idle word you say. You shouldn't be given the vain talking or whatever. But that's a strong mechanism we have. In the book of Joshua, we see where the third chapter in the 17th verse where he says, And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of the Israelites passed over on dry ground. Proverbs fifteen nineteen says, The way of the lazy is like a hedge of thorns. It pricks, lacerates, and entangles the lazy of the sluggard. But the way of life of the upright is smooth and open like a highway. Because God's removing all obstacles. Those obstacles has already been removed. All we have to do is walk therein because we're walking by faith. Isaiah 30, 21 says, Your ears will hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or the left, it's good direct you we have God's divine providence and guidance directing us in the way, in the way to go. He's going to show us the way. Isaiah 42 and 16 says, I will lead the blind by a way that they do not know. I will guide them in paths that they do not know. I will make darkness into light before them and ruggeded places into plains. These things I will do for them, and I will I will not leave them, uh, abandon them, or uh, leave them undone. He's going to do the work. The Spirit, it makes the way for us. All we have to do is speak God's Word, preaching and teaching, not losing the Savior, and the Word accomplishes these things. It's the Spirit 
that does these things. It's power in God's spirit. Isaiah 43 and 16 says, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. Now that fourth commandment, the Sabbath. 58, Isaiah 58, 13 through 14 says, um, If you turn back your foot from unnecessary travel on the Sabbath, now it wasn't like the Pharisees and the ones that had made up so many laws to say you can only take so many steps on the Sabbath, you can only do this on the Sabbath. But he says, of unnecessary travel. It's like the man that was picking up sticks on the Sabbath and Moses told to have him stoned because he might have not had to pick up the sticks. He might have did it just to be inviolating or show that he could do it. But Jesus did a lot of things. You remember Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Remember Jesus did a many a different things. That's why he told him the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He says, and if from doing, he says, but if if you would turn back from your foot from unnecessary travel on the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a spiritual delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, not going your own way or engaging in your own pleasure or speaking your own idle words. Then you will take pleasure in the Lord and I will make you ride on the high places of the earth. And I will feed you with the promised heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord had spoken it. So as I said, instructions in the Bible as to how to keep the Sabbath is not given in specifics, but we see a general allergy, allergy of precepts. And that's what the Bible is, precept upon precept, line upon line, little by little. Uh, if we are being led by God's Spirit, we should be able to determine what is right. The Spirit of God and being obedient unto His Word, we should be able to determine what is right, whether we're doing something that is right or not. Maybe not the first time around. Maybe not the second. Or the, it, it may take some time in doing it. I've done a lot of different things. And you learn through process of error, you know. Sometimes you say, well, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I... And God is very merciful. God is a merciful God. But there's a learning curve. We will see that we are doing something wrong. Our heart would convict us. That's what the Spirit of God comes in. It convicts you. It causes you. Remember I said it places that little doubt there. It says, you know, I, I really shouldn't be doing it. I don't believe. And you start learning uh, and you get more convicted of it. Your heart becomes more sensitive to sin. See, because the world has desensitized us. Yeah. It desensitized us so much that we're seeing soft porn just on regular everyday primetime television. Because it's nudity and uh, adultery, fornication, all of these things, nakedness and all of these, it's a form of soft, soft porn. That's why with wars and all of these things, we've become accustomed to see incense and mangled body parts and all of these things and death and everything. The world has desensitized us. Yes. It's no longer like the scarlet letter. If someone would have committed adultery back during the time of the scarlet letter, you remember that put that big old letter on us, the A on her adultery. Yeah. But now it's common. We have a president that been we had a president that were married three or four times, had divorced three times or so, and the people still love him. Not the morality of the thing. See, we're desensitized to the principles and the things of God. Or uh, if we find out that we have been doing it right, we will probably intensify our efforts to do right. And that's why I told someone that had started going with us, they said that they don't think that they could attend church because they couldn't tithe. But after coming a year or two, they're one of our best tigers. They're one, a prolific tiger. It, Brother Dent, I remember Brother Dent when he started, uh, and we we're talking about tides and everything. 
Brother Dent would do it the way you're supposed to do the tithes. A lot of Sister Harris started doing it the way you're supposed to do the tithes. The way the tithe actually is done is when you get paid, you get your money, you take out God's portion first. That's the right way to tithe because if you spend some money, if you overspend, it should be your money. You should make a sac- you should make the sacrifice, not God. You shouldn't short God in your tithes. Because they're not yours, they're God. That's why it says, will a man rob God's? So when you start putting God first, it gets easier and easier because you budget your life, you walk in that area. And it's the same with the Sabbath. You may not rest every Sabbath or do it the same, but you grow. Don't expect the newcomer, uh, uh, that's why it says don't make her a novice, a preacher or whatever, because... He may fall into condemnation of the devil because the laborers in the church, he may not see it paying off. When he first get in there, he might follow the deacons and these people in the church that say, well, let's go on television. Let's not preach on this. Let's not do this and fall into the snare of the devil to try to make ends meet, to try to make the church prospered when after he's been in there a while and he'll see that it's not his job to make the church prosper. All of that's God's response. That's on God. Uh, and I have some more to talk about this Sabbath. How can one call the Sabbath a delight? Well, as you practice and learn of the Sabbath, you'll find out that's one thing that separates us from a lot of religions, a lot of other churches as people say well look y'all do the sabbath on y'all well i can't do that on you know because saturday is day day or whatever they can't rest on a saturday they can't not work or they can't well see you have to come to god and then god breaks down the barriers the obstacles he provides the way you have to be accepting and say yes this is right this is the way that I should do it and you struggle to do that you you walk in by faith not by sight you start accomplishing things but the main thing the, the Sabbath is as is to regard it as holy that it's sanctified and that we shouldn't do things to profane the Sabbath but I don't want to just break this down to make it a Sabbath they teaching but the Sabbath sets us apart. It's the principle that's involved that we must respect the things of God. It's when Moses was coming through the land, he says, put off thine shoes, the ground that you stand on is holy ground. That he had to respect that spot of ground. Well, we respect God's Sabbath day, even though we might not can keep it as fully as we would like to. But don't you feel better when you tied, when you, when you get your check that you can tie, don't you feel better when you can say no to what's wrong? Don't you feel better when you do it? You take a delight in keeping his commandments. There's something that gives us peace and trust and truth and grow us because we feel that we're walking in the way. It strengthens us. And it is the test commandment also. The sign that God gave between him and his people, Exodus 31, 13, and 17, that was a test commandment. That was a sign between him and us that we are his people. That he has stamped that indelible upon us. He says, your ways is another aspect of this. Uh, uh, I pulled that at the last minute, and maybe I shouldn't have. This is where I wanted to. Maybe Stuart, I should have started off. Uh, he says, a highway shall be there. Hmm. So we're going off the promise that Jesus given us. He says, all thee that are heavy laden and a burden, come unto him and rest. Well, that's what I struggled to do. And yesterday, I did one or two things. One thing I told you I did yesterday but I told my wife toward the end of the day it kind of bundled me up because I maybe shouldn't have done it, but it was something that I needed to get done. But I found out that that's the day I struggled because that's my rest. And do, do you actually want rest? I think I've entered into his rest. And when we are striving to obey God and walking in his way, then we have already been brought into this rest. And that's his rest, that Sabbath day the rest of Jesus Christ 
where I rely upon him. So it wasn't actually working. It's accomplishment that I got done, but it is a beginning. I'm starting to see the benefits of the Sabbath. Not the fullness, but it is a beginning. Just like the Holy Spirit has given us, that's the earnest of our inheritance. But there's going to be a full measure, a full stature of the Spirit. That's why we keep continually being filled with the Spirit. There's going to be a one day when we receive the fullness of that Spirit, when this corruptible pull off the incorruptible, when we truly will have that rest in the Lord. But it is producing the right type fruit in us now, and it's producing the right type fruit in me now. I can, I feel and I can see that I'm, on, I'm walking in the way. In other words, because... I'm, it gives me a delight to keep his laws and to make the right accomplishments in his word because he says, my peace I leave with you, my joy I give to you. And when I came back and was trying to instruct or uh, help my cousin with this today, it caused him to wonder, but it may not be within his realm God may not be speaking with him or whatever, but I allowed that light to so shine to try to bring him out of the darkness that he's in. It gives me great joy to see people coming to the Lord or start or begin to walk in the light. And God's way will produce the right fruit and the Sabbath is central to all these things is striving to get your life in order to be able to keep the Sabbath. One thing about tithing, and I was going to give these tithe envelopes to the new member, is that what you do is, let me cut down on my extracurricular activity. I can't go out and eat a $100 meal because I'm going to end up short somewhere. I can't buy those three or $400 tennis shoes. I can't spend this. I can't in other words, I have to budget my life if I'm making $5,000 a month, or if I'm making, let's just say $500 a week, I have to make sure my budget is at least around $350 a week. Because $50 a week doesn't actually belong to me. That tent, that $450 belongs to me, what God loaned me. The $50 belong to God. So out of $500, $50 of it's not mine. So that's not negotiable. My budget has to be below $450 because that's all I have. I don't have $500. Okay, now if I'm going to give God an offering, that offering, and when my mother used to give me money to get, she set, used to set aside when she would get her check or whatever, a dollar to each Bible study or whether we was going to church, well, if you go to church four times a month, you will want to put in a certain amount for each offering because of the way it looked. It doesn't look right for me throwing in change or whatever. It, it's better of the more appropriate example in with my status. If I'm making $500 a week, $450 of it is for mine. 10% of that is times $50. So that $450 ought to take at least $10 or $20 out of there and says for the four times I go to Bible study and church, I ought to put $5 offerings in. If you notice the deacons of the church or the preachers of the, of the higher people in the church or the higher of the congregation, they put in the folding money or whatever for the offering because my offering has to be an equivalent of not coming into the house of God, leaving nothing. You will feel better spiritually. It's going to make you freer to be able to give tithes and offerings. So out of that 450 now I'm down to $430 because $20 of this needs to be offered. So that's $70 that's non-negotiable. So $430 is the maximum my budget can be. 
And it may take me some time to get to that point. But when I get to that point, when my budget is under $430, I'll know that life is that much easier on me. I don't, I'm not even thinking about robbing God. That doesn't even come to mind because I'm at, I have a safety net here. So therein it goes with lusting. Therein, he says, he who looketh after a woman that lusts after her. So this may not be accomplished in the beginning. Maybe when you go to the grocery store or something or whatever, you turn your head when you're going by the checkout counter or whatever. But now it's so prolific. Like I said, every commercial on television, everything on any show you watch, so maybe you have to stop watching television or be more selective in the things you're watching on television. But then it comes into everyday society. In a corrupt society, we see here women running around half naked everywhere you go, even in the churches. So there must be, I have to pray to God and ask God to strengthen me at this stage where, as Job says, that I made a covenant with my eyes that I wouldn't look after a maiden to lust after him. But the, those desires and things are hard to do when you are alpha male or you have a God builds you in a certain way or whatever. So these, this is a consistent battle that you're fighting. You may not overcome it in a month. You may not overcome it in a year. You may not overcome it in five years. But this is what you're praying and working toward, and that's what you ask in God. The strength, and he says, that he wouldn't allow you to be tempted above that which you can withstand. So the way, the way is a way of life. You start living the way God, Jesus lived. You start living so these things are not a part of your life. And we will start this back third Wednesday. And I'm going to try to have it a little bit more better organized. And like I said, I kind of messed up some of my time yesterday, but I'm sorry I didn't have this exactly as I should have presented it today. Heavenly 